Well, it's time for our memory verse. If you've been with us in Hebrews, you know that we're going through Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, just a little smidge at a time, as my grandma always used to say, just a smidge at a time. Uh, she also used to say, just a smell at a time. I don't know where that comes from, but uh, we're going to do a little bit at a time here. This is the second part there in verse 15. Let's get it up on the screen here. The part for today is just that section where it says, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Of course, that refers to Jesus as our great high priest. Uh, he is not the kind of high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So let's go ahead and do that whole section that we've memorized from 14 all the way to the word weaknesses three times together so we can get gold stars in our Bibles today. Here we go. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We got a, a good whole thought there about the nature of Christ's high priesthood here. So let's go ahead and do that two more times. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I see a few folks out there trying to close their eyes and do it from memory. That's good. One more time. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. All right, good job. We're getting there. We're about halfway through that whole passage there. And I think it's important for us to continue with these Christian disciplines of Scripture memory, of getting the Word, of, of prayer and time spent in God's Word on a regular basis. So, Psalm 119 says, Your Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee. It's important for us to remember God's words in our minds and in our hearts. And so I want us to make a regular practice, even, even if you've not done this kind of thing since you know, junior high or, or elementary school when the teacher would say, okay, here's our, memory, here's our Bible memory verse today, kids. It's important for us to have those reminders to get the Word into us. Also, as I've been telling you every week, I'd like to encourage you to read through Hebrews in between the Sundays. All 13 chapters there. It's a good way to prepare for our time together on Sunday mornings. It's a good way to prepare your hearts and your minds for what we do here. That we would be receptive to God speaking to us in His Word. Well, just a quick recap of last week. Last week we went through the third of five warning passages in Hebrews. These warning passages are listed there in your sermon outlines. They're found there, those five different passages, chapter 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, 10 and 12. It would be a, a good extra credit Bible nerd assignment for you to, to read through Hebrews this week and, and think about those warning passages and determine on your own what you think is the common thread in those warning passages. They're in Hebrews for a reason. 
Those warning passages are there because this congregation in, in Hebrews, where this letter was, was sent to them, this congregation was beginning to see, as we've talked about before, some tangible persecution. The road of following Christ for them was beginning to have some real serious bumps. And they were kind of feeling like, you know, I, I didn't know when I signed up for this Jesus thing that it was, that it was going to be hard. And so Hebrews is giving them encouragement because they were being, being tempted to give up, tempted to walk away from the hard parts of following Christ. And so they needed encouragement to remain faithful in their walk with God. And so Hebrews is written as an encouragement, an encouragement to continue walking in confidence. The preacher here in Hebrews is providing us with an advanced course that we're going to get to next week. We're going to spend some time talking about this Melchizedek character that's been talked about a couple times. We're going to dive into that next week. But the, the Hebrews preacher here is, is providing an advanced course in the superiority of Jesus and his, his perfect sacrifice. His once for all, total, complete, perfect sacrifice so that they would be encouraged to follow Christ with wholehearted devotion with single-minded faith, with passion. In that memory verse, at the end of verse 14, it says, let us hold fast our confession. It doesn't say, when, when the going gets hard, you can just sort of, you know, take it easy. You don't have to hold fast to the confession. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just something that that preacher guy sits up there and talks about, and, and, and you don't have to worry about that. Hebrews is saying, we are called to hold fast to our confession. Today, we ask the question, in that walk with Christ, when it gets hard, when we need encouragement, where does our hope come from? Where does our hope come from? In what is our hope as believers grounded? In a broken world that's marred by the effects of our sin of your sin, of my sin, of someone else's sin, in a broken world like that, how do we become people whose lives are marked by the kind of hope that is found, as we sang this morning, in Christ alone? Let's pray as we dive into the passage here. Lord God, it's our hope, it's our desire, more than anything, that you would meet with us through your Spirit today and convict us that you would also at the same time encourage us, that you would bolster our faith, that we would leave this place with a greater knowledge of who you are and what you've done for us so that we could walk in confidence, so that we could live in ways that reflect the glory of the things you've already done for us. We ask for this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. There was a former heavyweight boxer named James Tillis. You're a real sports nerd if you know that name. You may have known what he was called. He was known as Quick. James Quick Tillis. He was the first boxer to go the distance with Mike Tyson. Quick was a cowboy from Oklahoma. He was a cowboy from Oklahoma who, who fought out of Chicago in the, in the early 1980s. He still remembers that first day in the Windy City when he arrived from Tulsa. He 
He says this, I got off the bus with two suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago. I stopped in front of that huge Eiffel Tower. I I looked up at that Eiffel Tower and I said, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And then he looked down and his suitcases were gone. You ever felt that way in life? Enthusiasm, one moment. Discouragement, the next. All in the same day. All in the same matter of hours or minutes in our life. We can go from boundless enthusiasm to discouragement. It's because we live in a broken world. A broken world where discouragement comes quickly, and it comes often. But lost suitcases are the easy things. Lost suitcases are temporary distractions, and you get used to those easy-to-overcome things in life. What about the times when everything seems to cave in? You ever felt so discouraged, so discouraged, that you felt like hope was lost. We've all been there. We've all experienced that broken world where things don't work as they should. And that means that we experience physically, emotionally, we we feel this brokenness in our bones. In this very congregation, there are people right now who are experiencing great pain and suffering. There are people fighting cancer. There are people who have gone through brokenness in their lives. Divorce, tragic death, loss of job, loss of children, loss of home. There are people in this very congregation who have been through addiction to drugs, to pornography, to alcohol, to you name it. There are people in this congregation who have been through some mild forms of persecution and mockery and ridicule. There are people who have been in the loneliness of a jail cell in this congregation. There are people who have been in the loneliness of their own emotional prisons for years in this very congregation. We have all been to those kinds of places in life where despair looms large and hope seems faint and fanciful. I love the Psalms because they... Pull no punches about life. Psalm 121 is one of my favorites. Psalm 121 expresses this kind of cry of despair in this first verse, where it kind of calls out to the depths of our heart as we've experienced brokenness and sin in our worlds. And it cries out with these words, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where... Does my help come? You know, the world is, is, is filled, 
filled with people looking all over for help, for hope, for salvation, for peace. And they're asking this very question, from where does my help come? Maybe you're asking that question. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're still there. Because hopelessness is where a lot of people live. Hopelessness is the kind of place many Christians experience. But God has something better for us. And yet a lot of us struggle with that. In fact, a lot of people rarely get beyond despair in their lives. They never get past that in their lives. Anybody here, anybody here ever heard of Butler, Tennessee? Those of you who grew up around East Tennessee have heard of Butler, Tennessee. Life magazine even did a whole piece on Butler, Tennessee once. You see, when the TVA was being built, Butler, Tennessee was flooded to create what is now Watauga Lake. And in the months before Butler was to be flooded, despair set in for that town. All improvements and repairs in the town were stopped. I mean, what's the use of painting a house if it's going to be flooded in six months? Why repair anything when the whole village is going to be wiped out? Have you ever felt that way about your life? So, so week by week by week, the town became more and more bedraggled, more gone to seed. And when Butler, Tennessee went to the bottom of Watauga Lake, a lot of people's hopes seemed to go down with it. To some of those folks, it was never, ever like it was back then in the good old days. For some of them, life stopped when they built Watauga Lake. One person said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. The truth of Butler, Tennessee to Watauga Lake is a truth that is for us very real and in this passage today. Here it is. If you're taking notes, this would be a good one to write down. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Hope has got to be a bedrock thing for us as believers. Tied into the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we can begin to be those people who have power in the present because we know we have faith in the future. When we are people whose faith in the future is rooted in the power of God and the certainty of His promises, we can experience power in our present lives. It is this same Lord who makes heaven and earth, who keeps His promises to us. Just like Psalm 121 just said. Psalm 121 gives us both that first cry for despair and yet the rootedness of that hope for the future. And it says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? And here's the faith for the future. My help comes from the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth. 
when we are people whose faith in the future is rooted in the power and the promises of God, we can experience that kind of hope's power for us in the present. It is this same Lord, as we just read, who made the heavens and the earth, who keeps his promises to us just as he has for literally thousands of years. This isn't just pie-in-the-sky fanciful faith in blindness as if we have no evidence. This is God-has-done-this-for-people kind of faith. This is not pie-in-the-sky. This is we can see this in the lives of people. And so... So just as he has for literally thousands of years, we see in our passage today, God even swore an oath to keep his promises for us. Follow along in Hebrews 6 here, 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. Just that first couple of verses there, 13 to 15 at this point, it says this, verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, well, sort of, obtained the promise. Our author assumes that the readers of Hebrews knew their Jewish scriptures very well here. So for those oriented to the Jewish scriptures who are hearing the author of Hebrews talk about this, the author could have chosen no greater example of faithful perseverance than their spiritual father, Abraham. Especially appropriate for them to remember is that moment at which, if you'll remember, Abraham offered his cherished son, Isaac, at Mount Moriah. That's Genesis 22, 1-8 there. This scene where Abraham was called by God, to sacrifice his son Isaac is one of the backdrops of this passage, this discussion in 13 to 15 of Hebrews 6 here. In other words, God has said, I will bless you, I will multiply you. This means Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the shore and the stars of the sky as a sign of God's blessing to Abraham and to the people of God as a sign that the Messiah would come from them. And yet... Abraham's probably thinking to himself on the mountain, you're going to bless me, and you're asking me to sacrifice a son. From whom will come all those heirs? Do you think that in that moment, Abraham needed to hold on to some hope? That God's promises were real? So, So as the preacher in Hebrews is saying here, Abraham, caught in the crisis between his love for his son and his desire to obey God, he believed that the promises of God would not fade. Even as he's on top of a mountain asked to sacrifice his son. Look at Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Hebrews 11, just turn over a few pages to Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. It says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Hebrews 11 is pointing out the great irony of this test and this trial. 
for Abraham here. So, so Abraham stayed the course of sacrifice through intense and prolonged testing and became, this is, this is the nerdy theological phrase you're going to want to write down if you're, if you're taking notes, Abraham became the paradigmatic, I know it's a big crazy word, the paradigmatic receptor of God's covenant promise. Paradigmatic. A paradigm is the way we think about something that informs everything. Shifts in thought from one epoch to another in science have been uh, changed because of a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift changes everything. So so Abraham has become the paradigmatic. He's the, the ultimate example of the receiver of God's promises. He is an example for us here in Hebrew as the ultimate example of someone who kept to the course. That means that he is the model for somebody who hopes in God's promises. Hopes in God's promises despite hardship and despite trial. So our preacher to the Hebrews here, our writer in Hebrews, is using the heroic figure of Abraham as an illustration to encourage a community that is struggling with perseverance under trial. Struggling with feelings of despair. Verses 16 to 18 continue. It says this, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God decided, when he desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in what is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Some complicated language here, but let me just try to explain it briefly by saying this. Uh, people in courts, people in courts have to swear by a higher authority than themselves. You put your hand on the Bible when you swear in. Their oath, their affidavit, is admissible as evidence because it's been sworn as truth. So even more so, when God wants to show, as he said here, even more convincingly, he wants to show the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with, verse 18, two unchangeable things, the oath and the promise, just as people do. In other words, into verse 18, God wants to show us we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It's like God went into court and said, I will swear an affidavit that you can use as evidence. And he upholds Abraham. And he has said, he has said see, you can do this. Abraham did this. And I haven't asked you to sacrifice a son. The message is that we have a God who keeps His promises. It's the certainty of God's promises that gives us hope to continue. Hope to carry on. Listen to the beautiful words of the last couple... uh, 
verses in our, in, our mess, in our passage here. Verses 19 and 20. Listen to these beautiful words. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who here doesn't want a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul? Who here doesn't need somebody to be a forerunner on your behalf? We all need that. We all need something that is the ground of our hope and the certainty of God's promises and the work and the person of Jesus Christ, ultimately, as we're reading here, is that ground for our hope. We have the person and the work of Jesus Christ, in verses 19 and 20 here, as the ground for our hope. Hebrews is saying, Abraham had a promise. But we have the ultimate demonstration of that promise in the person of Jesus Christ. So we have Him, we have Jesus, as the sure and the steadfast anchor for our souls. He is the hope. It's not just an oath in court. Jesus is the hope. He has entered into that Holy of Holies behind the curtain and made His sacrifice known to God. He's passed through the heavens so that even now, His perfection works to be that sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Jesus wasn't like perfect then, and it only counted for like you know the cross. He's still there in His perfection to continue to be that sure and steadfast anchor Anchor for us. Hope is ours because Christ did what God promised to Abraham he would do. Listen to some of these promises of God for our lives in Scripture. I just want to run for you a few of these. There are hundreds and hundreds. Google the word promises of God in Scripture and you will be overwhelmed. Here's one of them. God has already given us victory. Genesis 28.15 Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. God has already given us the victory. How about this one? There is power in the blood of Christ. This is a promise of God given to us in Scripture. Here are two places. Ephesians 2.13 But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 1 John 1.7 Promise of the power of the blood of Christ. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, that is Christ, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. How about this? Every fear is cast out. First Chronicles 28.20 David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Second Timothy 1.7 
God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We have security, we have safety, we have salvation. Genesis 28, 15, again, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until you have, till I have done what I have promised you. Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There are promises like that all over the place in Scripture. We are people who could use some hope in our lives. We are people who could use the certainty of the person and the work of Jesus Christ as the sure foundation that we need when things are hard, when life is confusing, when circumstances around us seem unsure. There was a number of years ago when... uh, some researchers performed an, exper- uh, an experiment to measure the effect of hope on those who are undergoing hardship in their lives. So what did they do? They tested rats first. <laughs> they had two sets of laboratory rats that were placed in separate tubs of water. The researchers left the first set in the water, and they found that within one hour, every single one of those rats had drowned and died. The second set of rats were just every once in a while periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, that second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Not because they had a rest. Not because they were given a break from swimming but because they suddenly had some hope. Those animals somehow hoped that if they could stay afloat just a little longer, someone would reach down and would rescue them. If if, if hope holds that kind of power for unthinking rodents, how much greater should its effect be on our lives? We are people given every promise we will ever need in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That He's the one who went behind the veil for us. He reaches down for you. So leave this place in the confidence and the hope, the full assurance that you can hold fast that confession that He will work to complete that in you. We have Jesus Christ. And you and I can be encouragement for one another in that road, knowing that there is a direction to all of this. Knowing that when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it's frustrating, that we have someone who has gone beyond the veil for us to come and rescue us from our biggest problem. Let's pray. Lord God, we are people who struggle with
fixation on things that are poor imitation of you. We are people who live in a broken world where our circumstances often make us feel like we're drowning, but Lord, we come to this place wanting the full assurance of the hope that we have in you. Wanting to know deeply in our bones, we want to experience the truth that the person and the work of Jesus Christ are our hope. Not the myriad of things that we've replaced that with. And so we're gathered here to recenter our lives around the truth that you are the ground, that your promises are the certainty for who we are as people working and living in a world that is broken. That we can have hope despite that brokenness. That we can, even in our own lives, experience that you are taking us somewhere through your Holy Spirit and guiding us so that we would continue to love and to know you more and experience the joy and freedom found in being loved and known by you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We'd like to invite you, as someone who may be a baptized believer in Christ, looking for a church home, we'd like to invite you to place membership with us. Or if you're someone who would like to publicly proclaim Christ as Lord and acknowledge that your hope is grounded in Him, and you'd like to make that public confession of faith in the waters of baptism, we'd like to invite you as we stand to sing.